Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny E. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. I want to thank you all for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. It means the world to me. If you're not already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. Uh, also wanted to give a big shout out to all of our friends of the podcast here. We've got B-Boys Honey, locally made here in Manitoba. Great honey, great flavors. I'm a big fan of their cinnamon honey, so I'm a little impartial to that one, but, uh, or partial, sorry, to that one. Uh, love the cinnamon honey from B-Boys Honey. You can find it in many places here in Winnipeg, and I think kind of, they've, uh, really branched out all over the province, but you can find them just about anywhere now. So, very proud of them. Um, family, friends, so, uh, very proud and very happy for them. Uh, also here in Winnipeg, we've got Skin Dimensions Tattoo located on Cordon Avenue. Please visit them for any tattooing and piercing needs or wants you might have. Um, Claire's an excellent piercer. Uh, Glenn is an up-and-coming tattoo artist. And Kelly, well, he's the man, so go see them. Uh, and last but not least, here in Winnipeg, we've got Selfix Doctors located at 666 St. James Street. Please visit Please visit them for any cell phone, tablet, and screen repair needs you might have. Mention the Seems Legit podcast and receive 10% off. I want to give a big shout out to our boys down in Vegas over at the Vegas Squares podcast. Sports talk by sports fans for sports fans. Check them out. I've guested on their uh, show before. Wonderful show if you're into sports talk. Um, and last but not least, our boys down in uh, Zero, uh, Zero Gravity Games down in Fayetteville, Georgia. Uh, go see them for any of your used, rare, and vintage gaming needs. All right. So, uh, wouldn't be Canadian without uh, focusing on hockey, I guess. So, uh, we have got um, a few things to watch. The season, the NHL season's uh, almost wrapped up. Most teams have three or four games left. Um, what's awesome though, is that we actually have kind of a race to the end, uh, over the next day or two, you're going to start seeing a lot more teams kind of fall out of races, uh, in terms of standings, uh, that's normal this time of year. I mean, the points, the, the, the numbers just stop adding up at a certain point. So you've seen those teams that are kind of still alive, but, uh, not so much, um, right now and that's good you're gonna see a big change there over the next uh few days uh as the season comes to wrap i think this weekend is the uh last game of the season so kind of now kind of every with every game being played more and more teams are going to get eliminated from the playoff picture um but i guess that's kind of the first thing we can talk about uh going in uh to this episode here uh in case you haven't gathered, this episode is going to be all about hockey and uh, just some things we can watch for as uh, the season comes to an end. So, um, as we all know, the uh, Tampa Bay Light run away with the President's Trophy as well as the Eastern Conference. They've locked that up. Uh, the Atlantic Division, I think, is pretty much kind of set now. Uh, Toronto has built up a bit of a lead now on Montreal. So with five, they're five points up. They have four games in hand. So they've got a game or four games left. They've got a game in hand on Montreal. I think it's pretty much safe to say that it's going to be uh, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, uh, one, two, three in that Atlantic division. Uh, and over in the Metropolitan Division now is where things do still uh, remain a little interesting. Uh, over the last few games, uh, Washington has pulled uh, ahead of the Islanders in the Met. So they are up now to 102 points and three points clear of the Islanders. 
Uh, same number of games in hand. Washington has won four straight. Uh, New York has won uh, two straight. Uh, Pittsburgh is third in the Met uh, with 97 points. They're two points back of the Islanders with um, – sorry – uh, with the same number of games remaining. So that's kind of how those uh, divisions are looking. They're also, um, I guess that division's a little closer. Um, not by much, though. Uh, in Columbus is three points back for the third spot in the uh, Met, but I, I don't see them overcoming Pittsburgh. However, with that being said, they are 7-2-1 in their last 10. Pittsburgh 6-2-2, two two, but when you do have the point cushion, you do have that extra little bit of leeway there. So... Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that, yes, in the uh, Metropolitan Division, I do think Washington will, as I've said, kind of all season, uh, will hold on and win that division. Um, And then it'll come down to the Islanders and uh, Penguins, kind of who down the stretch can uh, do, um, can pick up the ground. Um, Interesting to know, over the last 10 games, while they both have six wins, Islanders do have four losses. Uh, to Pittsburgh's two overtime or shootout losses, which means that they've picked up an additional two points on the Islanders in that same period. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on and the importance of those extra points that you can get. Uh, I think that is um, something quite remarkable. Uh, When you look at how over the course of a season, you know, you think of it at first, oh, well, does it really matter? You know, does that extra point really make that big a difference? But I trust me, it always does. Uh, teams always have to focus on those extra points. That extra one point, whether it means losing regulation versus overtime and the win versus the overtime loss, they do add up, and that's what kind of gives you that cushion at the end and then can be the big difference maker um, come making the playoffs. And I think when you look at the top teams and those top coaches, they always illustrate the importance of, of um, so much those dirty losses. Like, you can't lose clean in regulation. You have to be getting it to overtime at the bare minimum. And you'll get Tampa Bay. I mean, look at this. They could go an entire season with um, less than 20 uh, regulation losses. They have 19 combined losses. Like, if they if they win out here in their next four games, uh, which is possible, they'll go um, 80, basically 83 and 19 or 63 sorry and 19 on a season like that's unreal so uh that that's um crazy but yes so anyway i i do as i said in the met see it uh washington islanders pittsburgh kind of they're going to be the division uh, representatives uh washington will uh win that division things have gotten interesting in the west now uh when you look at the central division uh winnipeg was comfortably ish in the lead and in control of their own destiny and still kind of uh remain a little bit in control of their own destiny they uh, are sitting currently atop of the division um, I believe, that, yeah, they do hold the tiebreaker, which is regulation or overtime wins. I think, or, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, non-shootout wins, basically, is the uh, tiebreaker there. But they also have the game in hand on Nashville. So they have 94 points. I've, I've said all along that I do think they could hold out. However, the surprise story, again, I think probably of the year or the second part of the year, has been Jordan Binnington uh, in St. Louis. I think St. Louis basically went from dead last to now being two points back of winning the Central Division. What's interesting about St. Louis winning the Central Division is, um, A, how far back they were at the beginning of the season, um, but B, how the Jets have kind of let the division slip through their hands. I've long said this is a bit of a story about um, the Jets here in Winnipeg, and it's their ability to win those tough games, even when they weren't very good yet. 
they uh, were still beating top opponents, but then losing to opponents they should beat um, and getting absolutely thumped by certain opponents. Now they're still winning those big games and beating teams that, you know, they're um, kind of battling at the top of the conference, but then they're losing a lot of those games to bottom beating teams. Like they lost to LA uh, recently. Uh, they lost to Montreal. Uh, this just isn't good. Uh, they lost, oh God, they had that embarrassing loss uh, to LA, to the Islanders in regulation. So the Jets have let a lot, a lot, a lot of points slip through their hands. They've lost their last three games. Um, I believe they finish out their schedule on the road, actually, which is kind of interesting. So they do have a bit of a tough road, which was kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, done unto by themselves. Um, and I just, I, I don't know how you can be feeling good. I mean, they need to pick their shit up. Like they really need to uh, get their shit together here, kind of going into the playoffs. Otherwise things could get very ugly very quickly. And they could kind of be the story this year that Nashville was last year. Um, I was very happy for my Jets. Um, and, and was, I mean, of course, proud that they made it to the Western final, but Nashville was expected to win the cup last year. Um, they were pro or at least represent the Western conference. I'd even thought before this, before the playoffs started, I said, you know, things are great for Winnipeg, but we're going to get thumped by Nashville and Nashville's going to win the West and maybe win the, it all this year. Um, now, and maybe last year was Nashville's big chance, or maybe this year, not having that pressure of being the overwhelming favorite in the conference, um, they can kind of slip under the radar a little bit. Uh, when they did represent the Western Conference in the in the Cup Final against uh, Pittsburgh, I believe that kind of was the case. They had slipped a little bit under the radar uh, en route to, I think they swept Chicago in the first round, whatever it was. It was just, um, it wasn't the same thing as last year where the expectation was the Cup. So, uh, I, I just... It's going to be interesting to watch this one down the wire. I don't think Dallas gets into one of those division spots. Uh, I think they're pretty uh, much clear of having to worry about anything there. So that's kind of nice. Um, with that being said, the top six spots in the Western Conference have all been clinched. In the Eastern Conference, um, as funny as this is, only the top four spots have been clinched. So that'll be kind of uh, interesting to see. Now, I think some of those are technicalities. Like, it would take a disaster to see a team, certain teams fall out of the playoff picture. Um, but, I mean, anything could happen. So, yeah, in the, in the Central, it's gotten very interesting. I don't know how to predict this because... I didn't expect Winnipeg to be in this predicament at any point. So to see them in this predicament is a little bit strange to me, uh, a little unexpected, and they kind of had nobody, as I said, as I have been saying, nobody to blame but themselves. I don't know if Nashville overtakes. I don't know if St. Louis wins. So I think that's just going to be an interesting one to watch down to those final few games, uh, especially with Winnipeg being on the road. Um, so that one, I just don't know. That's that has gone from almost being a lock to being the most interesting division um, in hockey this year. Uh, the Pacific Division, 
Uh, looks like that's actually exactly set um, now. So uh, it's actually funny because I think, yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights posted on their Instagram uh, that their first round match has been set, which it has. So the Pacific Division is going to go like this, um, essentially, and that is going to be uh, Calgary first, San Jose second, Vegas third. So unlike last year, Vegas will not be having home ice throughout the first three rounds of the playoffs. They will be on the road. Um... And actually, they would have had, uh, that's right, they had uh, home ice even in the cup final last year against Washington. Yeah, because the cup was won in five games, and that fifth game took place in uh, Vegas. So, yeah, so when you look at this, now Vegas, ironically enough, has lost their last five games. They haven't had Marc-Andre Fleury, I believe. I think he's still out. So, Subban has been in net. It's good for Subban to see those minutes, um, especially going into the playoffs. You might as well get those hard minutes in now, see where he's at. Pardon me, coffee break. See where he's at. Um, so you're all systems go going into the playoffs. Worst case scenario. San Jose did do a bit of retooling this year. They did bring in Eric Carlson. Um, the, the Knights have retooled as well. That's going to be a really interesting first round matchup. And I think it is probably the premier first round matchup, really. Um, I think this is also the big issue that they that some people have been saying is the problem with the new NHL format. And that's this idea that you have two of the top teams or two of the teams that should be the top teams playing each other in the first round. We could almost see that in the Met. And it was looking like it was a very um, strong possibility in the Metropolitan Division with um, Pittsburgh and Washington possibly having to play in the first round. It is kind of what it is. It's unfortunate that you see those big matchups. But it's also one of those things where, I mean, you have to take control of your own destiny. However, I don't know if you need to be punished for coming second in your division kind of thing. I think that's what they're looking at it as. Not so much the third place team in the division, but that second place team in the division is getting maybe an unnecessarily tough matchup um, by playing the third team in that division. The Central is going to be tough. That first round there looks just absolutely nightmarish for any way, any permutation that that happens. Uh, it looks um, pretty crazy. So in the Pacific, though, I do see Washington getting through the first round. I want to take a look here and see what the wild card race looks like um, before I make uh, predictions there. But uh, so let's start over. Yeah, let's see how we're looking in the Pacific. So yeah, so I see Vegas getting past San Jose. Uh, when you look at uh, Calgary now, we're gonna see here. Um, All right, so in the wild card, we've got Dallas has firmly kind of got that first wild card. They do uh, lose a game. I mean, Colorado does have a game in hand on them, but they are four points back. So I think it comes down to basically, I think Minnesota is probably going to get eliminated in the next couple of days or next game or so here. Um, but assuming it kind of finishes out um, with Dallas and Colorado getting the wild card spots, uh, Colorado's looked good, eight, seven, two, and one. Out of all those wild card teams, they have looked the best. Chicago kind of fell apart there. Um, I had said in a previous episode, in my opinion, truly to win, to be in control of your own f destiny in going into the last 10 games, or at least, yeah, truly to be in control of your own destiny, A, if you have the games in hand, but if you have to leapfrog teams, you have to shoot for 8-0-2. If you're not going 8-0-2 in those last 10 games, it's really hard to leapfrog and be in control of it because you rely on the teams ahead of you doing badly. So if you want to take control of your own destiny, um, kind of going into uh, the playoffs or the playoff run here, you know, standings, 
you really have to go 8-0-2. The only team that's really kind of come close to that in the Western playoff run here has been Colorado. They're an interesting story because remember, famously kind of in the middle of the season, they went through that huge slump. Uh, they some banter on the bench. So we'll see how that goes. Um, kind of moving forward. Uh, but if Colorado can get into the playoffs, it's a very interesting, uh, or at least interesting story, especially if they can kind of make a decent run. Problem is that decent run could very well come at the hands of my Winnipeg Jets. So I'm a little, oh no, never mind. Sorry. They'd play Calgary and I'd like to, and I, well, I shouldn't say I'd like to see them beat Calgary, but I wouldn't be as upset or as opposed to them beating Calgary. So let's say they beat Calgary. Uh, then they'd play San Jose in the second round. That's an interesting uh, matchup as well. So I could see that. So I think right now, if they were to go the way they are, I see Calgary be, I mean, Colorado upsetting Calgary in the first round. I see Vegas uh, beating San Jose. Again, I don't know how that central division looks because, I mean, Dallas is going to get the wild, second wild card or the first wild card spot, meaning they'll play the winner of the central division. I mean, that poses tough matchups. Dallas and Winnipeg is, I think it's a pick em. I think that one could go either way. Dallas has seemed to have Winnipeg's number at times. Winnipeg sometimes uh, looks good against Dallas. But from at least when I watch, it looks like Winnipeg struggles against Dallas. Nashville and St. Louis, Biddington, if he steals the series, you never know. I mean, it's too tough to tell there. If Nashville gets the uh, Central Division, then it's Winnipeg and St. Louis. That's a tough one, but I do see Winnipeg prevailing in that one. I think that'll be a tough series, but I think Winnipeg could pull that one out in six. Nashville and Dallas, I think Nashville kind of might have the edge in that matchup, and then Nashville gets past Dallas. So it's kind of funny how matchups can play a, poor, uh, a role in this as well. If by some chance St. Louis gets past uh, both Nashville and Winnipeg and wins the Central Division. Now you have an interesting predicament. I think St. Louis and Dallas pose a very interesting matchup. I think it comes down to maybe Binnington versus the Dallas offense. We'll see what who wins there. Uh, you also have Ben Bishop as a bit of a story in that Dallas net. Kind of a redemption story. Struggled with injuries ever since that cup final where I said he shouldn't have even been playing but was playing on basically one leg. Um, and so remember, it wasn't that long ago that Vasilevsky didn't even have the faith of his own coach, that his own coach would rather put a guy on one leg in the net than Vasilevsky. So it's amazing how even Andre Vasilevsky has developed and where he's come. So it happens. Uh, but let's say that's the situation. St. Louis and Dallas, I don't know. I think that's the storyline, though. The goalies um, and the Dallas offense. Um, but then you have Nashville and Winnipeg in that first round. I think Winnipeg has Nashville's number now. I don't want to jinx it, but I think it could be one of those things where maybe Winnipeg has figured out the system to beat Nashville. Could get past Nashville maybe in five games this year. Uh, so who knows? I think out of all the options Winnipeg might have to face in the first round, the toughest one uh, for them could very well be uh, the Dallas Stars. Uh, and matchups are everything. In any kind of sport where it's head-to-head, Matchups are everything. Um, in the Eastern Conference, uh, Tampa Bay, if they get... So right now, let's assume Carolina can hold on to that final wildcard spot. Tough to see Montreal. I've really become a big Carey Price fan, but tough to see Montreal kind of not get it. Um, but uh, let's say Carolina. I think Tampa Bay just absolutely crushes Carolina. I think Washington beats Columbus for a second straight year. 
Um, I mean, it'll be interesting because, I mean, Columbus has really turned on, but so has Washington. I think they've really kind of wanted people to be like, hey, 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 hey. It's still our cup until we lose. So it'll be interesting, but I think Washington gets past Columbus. Uh, Tampa Bay gets past Carolina. Then when you look at the divisional matchups, Pittsburgh and the Islanders, I mean, that could go either way. Those two teams are neck and neck. I think the big difference there could be experience. Um, the Islanders do have Andrew Ladd, who's won two cups um, in supporting roles. Um, but then you have that Pittsburgh team that is kind of, I mean, they're just one year away from having repeated and would just have one. And if they win this year, it would be three cups in four years. I mean, fuck, that's incredible. Especially in the modern um, age of hockey, where they've had to undergo different um, playoff structures. I believe the year, the first of those years they won their cup, they didn't do this wild card um, kind of nonsense. But I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. I think the wild card thing's only been around for a couple of years. Could be wrong, but I believe that is the case. So. Just amazing how Pittsburgh has stood the test of time, and if they could get through this first round, sets up the uh, Washington matchup in the second round. So I guess, uh, wish uh, well, I, I want Washington to win. So I mean, for Pittsburgh fans, yeah, uh, have to wait. Uh, Washington, I'd like to see them get past Pittsburgh. I think they could do it. I think they will do it. So I see Washington having a relatively smooth ride to the Eastern Final. Um, in the Atlantic, I think those positions are pretty much set. I don't really see Toronto overtaking Boston at any time. I also, I think you're going to see a lot of what the fuck happened in Toronto this year. Uh, when it all said and done, I think they have a mental hurdle in Boston. I think Boston's playing very well. Uh, having that kind of one, two tandem that's worked really re- uh, well for them with Halak and Rask. Um, also has prolonged both of those goalies' careers, I think, and their abilities to be at the top of their game. Freddie Anderson has struggled of late. Um, that's been a really kind of big and interesting storyline throughout the season, just how bad um, his struggles have been at times. Other times, he looks like an absolute world beater. So I don't know. You never know which uh, Frederick Anderson's going to show up. So with that being said, you have an interesting kind of predicament there, but I do see Boston getting past Toronto again. Uh, I think that's a huge disappointment for Toronto. I think it also becomes a hard sell now for that hometown discount when you look to re-sign the free agents. I think if you are um, Kyle Dubas, you have some very tough decisions to make if Toronto gets eliminated in the first round. And kind of no matter how it happens, even if it's in seven games, uh, as my buddy Nick pointed out, why shouldn't Toronto be the favorite to beat Boston? Why shouldn't Toronto just beat them? Like, it should be this great story that the big, bad old Bruins are still in it. But shouldn't Toronto now be the better team? Like, shouldn't they have the edge on Boston? And he's right. Does that become a matter of the message becoming a little bit stale in Toronto? Has Babcock done what he can there? I mean, lest we forget, Babcock took kind of a, a well, big-time Cinderella story team in Anaheim to a cup final. They lost... Um, but he took them to a cup final and then found himself the lucrative gig in Detroit, back-to-back cup finals, won one of the two cups, and then uh, the gold medals at the Olympics. I think it was the two gold medals at the Olympics. So, you know, sometimes it's just the message is what it is at a certain place, and maybe he's gotten the most he can 
out of um, that Toronto team, and maybe the message has um, gotten as far as it can in Toronto. I think with the Jets' recent struggles and an early playoff um, exit, that now creates an interesting dynamic. Because again, does that become a matter of, has the message run a little stale there in Winnipeg as well? And with a guy like Joel Quenville lurking in the wings now, do you have kind of a coaching merry-go-round where it's Maurice kind of on the outside now? Maybe you see Babcock shift over to Winnipeg um, and Quenville into Toronto. (coughs) I think in Winnipeg, getting the players back isn't going to be as big a deal because they have a lot of young players. Their best players are all still young, Lowry and all these guys. And they still believe that this could be their year. Maybe next year is their year to really kind of do it. Who knows? Um, but I think in Winnipeg, you might have the easier hometown uh, discount, so to speak, than in Toronto, especially with Toronto, the expectations being so high. <coughs> Pardon me. And I mean, from there, where do you go? Like, how do you convince certain players to take those hometown discounts if you're not prepared to change anything big, I mean, you're taking the ga- you took the gamble on Nylander. You say we're going to overpay him this year because we think as of next year he's a six point nine million dollar player. We'll see how that plays out. If you're a guy like Mitch Marner, are you demanding your piece of the pie? They have those defensemen. Are you demanding your piece of the pie and being like, hey, look, unless we see maybe a coaching change, I don't know, right? And I think there's this air around Mike Babcock and Mike Babcock is a tremendous coach he's accomplished amazing amazing things um very successful at all levels again it's there's no shame in meaning maybe the message has gotten stale um or maybe it's just not a fit anymore in Toronto you know do you if if, if you're not prepared to make that change uh, you know Babcock has he is he too big to fire You know, there is that air about him, that little bit of too big to fire. Um, His contract is too big. He's making too much money. He's Mike fucking Babcock. I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't... It's nice to see finally a coach get the recognition that they are equally as important to the success and drive and championship um, and contention. Um as the players. It's nice to see them get that big money now. And I like that Babcock has done that for coaches. Um, That's again, that's one of those things. Game changers should always have their place. And whilst Babcock might not be getting, you know, he doesn't have the rings that Quenville has and all of this, his contribution, at least if that's it, let it be that. It's kind of like, as I've said about Conor McGregor, for better or worse, he does have to be acknowledged for what he has done for the growth of the sport. Babcock has contributed to the growth of the sport. Um, you know, and when you look at that, it's tough to tell a guy that's done so much that, hey, maybe we need to mutually part ways. But if they don't get out of the first round, I think it's a necessary move. I don't know what they're saying. I have Leafs uh, Lunch playing right now. Uh, it's on mute, but I have it on. Um, by the way, great new set on Leafs Lunch. I uh, really like it. It looked like it had been being filmed in this old sound studio, uh, which I kind of liked that grungy feel of it. I really did. I like that. Um, but now they've made it more because it's televised and it's a televised show as well as on broadcast on the radio or wherever. Yeah, TSN 1290, I think, um, in Toronto. 
they um and Andy Petrillo does a great job hosting that as well. Like Andy Petrillo's come a hell of a long way as a broadcaster, so good for her. Uh, really happy that she uh, got the hosting job there. So that's awesome. But um, with that all being said, uh, as I digress there, just to co- um, to compliment uh, Leafs Lunch, uh, which is funny that I'm talking about Mike Babcock. I think it's it. You might have to say it's time, Mike. We've we've done our best here with what we have. Um, with you at the helm, I think it was no different than Shanahan having that conversation with Lou Lamarillo and being like, Lou, you've done what you can. I think it's time to hand it over to uh, Kyle here. For better or worse, it is what it is. And, you know, maybe Shanahan is the best guy to be truly running the Leafs, uh, which he is, because he can make those tough decisions. And sometimes, and that's the hardest part about uh, leadership. And I should do a podcast on leadership, actually. Um, leadership is something I've always been very passionate about. Uh, something I've done a lot of studying on, read a lot about, um, listened to a lot of things on, really uh, um, tried to understand it as best I can um, and implement a lot of those um, things into my life, um, those techniques, those strategies, that way of thinking into my everyday life and things I do and trying to be there and be the best I can be for people around me um, in kind of that leadership role. Leadership's a great thing to understand, and not everybody's meant to be a leader. That's the big thing there um, to remember. But uh, just kind of talking about, uh, yeah, so that's another, that's a whole other podcast series uh, for me to do, and maybe that's uh, something for me to consider um, doing special leadership episodes. But anyway, uh, just wanted to get back to that, that maybe, yeah, Shanahan, the value in Shanahan's leadership with the Leafs is his ability to make tough decisions. That's a valuable lesson in leadership. And that's what makes being a leader sometimes so difficult is having to make those tough calls. Um, It's the tough calls that the captains are having with the coaches when talking about teammates. Uh, I remember Dustin Brown uh, in LA when they won their second cup going and saying, look, I'm your guy. I'm your grind guy. This is why I get paid the money I do. This is why I wear the C to be the guy in the playoffs to grind out those wins for us. And I mean, he didn't let down. And I think that was the kind of interesting thing. You almost kind of would wish that they could do kind of an alternating captain thing uh, where Kopitar won it for a war for some games uh, and Brown wore it for some games uh, and have them both maybe get the cup uh, when they win it. But um, it was Drury and who was the other one? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think it was Drury and Briere did it together um, somewhere. Oh, God. And there's that guy for the Devils. Oh, my God. I have to look up their old roster. But anyway, I, I know I've seen the dual captain thing done. I think they did it in the uh, in New York. I believe they did it in Buffalo. And they might have done it in uh, Phoenix as well, where one player won it for X amount of games. The other won it. I think it was Briere and Drury were co-captains. But regardless, I'm not opposed to the co-captain idea. I think it's great. Um. But again, leadership comes with things. And maybe Shanahan's thing is being able to make tough decisions, tough calls. Um, And I think having to tell someone like Babcock, hey, I think Babcock, the thing with Babcock is this. It's like the Roberto Luongo deal that he had signed in Vancouver. Sometimes your contract becomes your own worst nightmare. Does Babcock now take less money? The market for coaching is a little different than players. 
And this is going to be something in itself, but I think it'll be, it would be an interesting thing to see now how the free agent market again happens in coaching where a lot of people vie for that job still. A lot of people are willing to take the money it pays. And do you see guys now like a Mike Babcock saying, yeah, you're not getting $5 million a year. Sorry, you had zero division titles, zero series wins. Um, and I think you had a year where you didn't even make the playoffs in Toronto. Um, you haven't won a playoff series dating back to Detroit. Um, you're not getting five mil. Sorry. Um, you haven't even won an Olympic gold in that time because NHL players weren't even there. It becomes a tough sell as a coach to kind of demand that same amount of money. I think Babcock might have known that. I think he knew it was a big risk gamble he was taking. Um, I think another cup in Toronto or a good run in Toronto or a couple of good runs would have solidified that, okay, yeah, maybe he still is a four or $5 million minimum guy. I think if he leaves, you're looking at two, two and a half million. He's still a valuable coach. Could take a team like Winnipeg into an immediate contendership, especially in that central division, especially uh, with the kind of core they have, the style they play, the type of players they have. Could be a great fit. Um, but Babcock was put in a tough position because he was put in a position of develop young talent and now become contenders. So you've had to come up with two messages at the same, you know, kind of in transition. And sometimes just guys aren't there to do that. Again, having a guy like uh, Quenville come in could be that difference. Now he has a fresh message. Now it's, hey, we're not here to develop. We're here to fucking win. I won three cups in Chicago. Let's just go and fucking get this done. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting. But I think those are the two big first round matchups that really have big implications in bigger pictures. Um, and in Toronto, it's a big mess. It could be a huge, huge mess and a hard, hard summer full of tough decisions, uh, for Kyle Dubas, um, moving forward, Morgan Riley, all these guys, man, fuck, I hate Kyle Dubas, man. Maybe thank God he's young. Um, but anyway, another interesting story though, is going to be, I mean, the first overall pick, uh, or the best odds in the draft lottery go to the worst team. They've changed the formula now. So now there's no advantage for dumping out a season for deciding we're going to throw the season to try and get that first pick. Um, I'm happy about that. Cause I think it goes from like, you have an 18% chance to 12% chance, um, for that first between uh, the last team and second to last team. So it does, it doesn't advantage you at all. Um, Ottawa is a fucking disaster. They have been all season. It's very sad to see what's happened there. I feel horrible for their fans. Interestingly enough, though, is Craig Anderson is going to be playing his 400th game as a senator. Craig Anderson is one of those guys that's had a really interesting career and spent a lot of time moving and being shipped around and was never really a problem anywhere he went. He was actually kind of one of those guys that was always review um regarded as as an interest as a top tier goalie um i remember he made a push uh to be on a couple of the olympic teams so you know it is what it is and i think that when you look at that that's kind of interesting in itself um that he kind of has had this home in ottawa and he has been there for a while um sadly he hasn't been able to accomplish much in ottawa I don't know if he got a Vesna trophy. I know he had that awesome playoff series for Colorado a few years ago um, before Patrick Waugh was there. Uh, and then Colorado and training away. I think Colorado at one point even had Brian Elliott. Like they had both Elliott and uh, Anderson when they were both good. So anyway, 
Uh, it is what it is, but Craig Anderson, uh, 500, uh, 400 game as a Senator. That's awesome. Uh, uh, that's really cool. Let's look at some statistics and, uh, then we can kind of leave it off there. Um, some predictions down the road there. So those are kind of my predictions there. Um, moving forward. Sorry. So Tampa Bay and Boston, um, would meet in the second round. That's an interesting matchup. Again, I don't know. Boston's, um, beaten Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's, um, slammed Boston. So you'll, so it'll be interesting to see if they meet in the second round and how relatively undamaged both teams are going into the second round. Um, Art Ross trophy, I think is, is kind of settled. Um, what's interesting is that McDavid played four fewer games, uh, than Kucherov. So even if he had scored at a point a game, which he's done more than, so, I mean, when you look at that, so even at a one and a half points per game um, pace, which he's kept for, that puts him at six points in the same number of games played that would actually only have him two points back of Kucherov, which, as I said, I had predicted at the beginning of the season that McDavid would get the Art Ross. Um, so that's kind of sad uh, for that. But I think McDavid, I mean, next year he'll bounce back. I think he's still the best player in the game. Kucherov has a tremendous team around him. He also has a generational player in Steven Stamkos on his line. Kucherov's also taken a few years to develop. He's 25 years old, I believe. Uh, which means he would have been there, I think, when Tampa Bay played Chicago. Uh, pardon me, in that cup final. So these are things to remember. Um, but again, some players bloom late. So it's kind of interesting and nice to see that, you know what, if you stick with it and work hard, you can blossom into the player you thought you should be. I think he was also one of those kind of middle round... Uh, us uh value picks but look at the other points it's going to be uh it's kind of interesting that edmonton has 200 point players um and isn't going to make the playoffs i think that i've been saying it for a while now i think mcdavid should get out of edmonton should run for the hills um who knows if he will if they will i don't know if you can if you can convince him to uh stick around again for another t year and watch another one of his prime years go away. Back-to-back 40-goal -back years. I mean, best player in the game by far now, I think. It's uh, it's very sad uh, what's happening there for him. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I think Kucherov, just because we are winding down on games, I think the clock's just going to run out, and he will uh, end up getting the Art Ross Trophy. McDavid will come in second. Patty Kane, though. Patrick Kane on third there. That's kind of interesting to see as well. Um, again, another 40-goal season for Patty Kane. I think he's had one before. Let me just see here. Pretty sure Patrick Kane's had a 40-goal season before this one. Don't know if he won a Richard Trophy. I know he's won an Art Ross, I believe. But um, and he won a Hart Trophy. So, um, And it's kind of interesting that now I've seen players who have played entire careers. And I mean, when they did that, 100 uh, best players, I think both Kane and Taves made it. It's kind of really interesting to see that um, happen. Um, yeah, Kane's actually on the verge of doing a lot of things. So by next year, maybe, towards the end of next season, three-quarters of the way through next season, he should be looking at his 1,000th his NHL point. He has had a 46-goal season uh, in 2015-16. Uh, uh, I think that was the year he won the Art Ross Trophy uh, when he played with, I think he had Artemi Panarin with him. So, yeah, 46 goals, 60 assists. This year, 41 goals and 64 assists so far with games left to play. So uh, good for Patrick Kane. I'm um, showing that at 30 years old, 5 foot 11, 177 pounds. 
that, yeah, he can put it up. He can still do it. So that's going to be interesting to see. And Chicago, again, maybe a couple of acquisitions now, a couple of trades, and they're back in that talk. I mean, that's the great thing about hockey in a way. Um, and I kind of the, the salary cap parity. I mean, Chicago is a big-time almost victim and success story of the cap era because they were able to build a team, win a couple of cups. They were a success story, but they all, you also see how quickly things can go downhill. Um, when you do have so much money committed to just a certain few players, Johnny Goudreau on the verge of a hundred point season, McKinnon on the verge um, of a hundred point season. So we'll see how that happens. Crosby on the verge of another hundred point season. Uh, nonetheless, Kucherov will take that. Uh, Richard trophy. Ovechkin now ha has uh, gotten over the 50 goal plateau for the eighth time in his career. I think only um, Gartner and Gretzky have more. I could be wrong. It could even be Marcel Dion and Wayne Gretzky have more 50 goal seasons, but I could be wrong. Uh, so that's just another incredible feat, uh, there by the grade eight. Uh, so yeah, so 51 goals, he's four goals, um, shy of Leon Dreisaitl for the Richard trophy. I'd like to see him keep the foot on the gas pedal, maybe even get that to 55 goals. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, I think scoring nine goals in four games is going to be a little hard, but if anybody could do it, it would be him. Uh, you also, so yeah, so you have at 47, you have a lot of 40 goal scorers this year. I'm happy to see that, that we are getting some goal totals back up there and a lot of players on the verge of 40. So on the verge of 40, we have McKinnon at 39, Kucherov at 39, Gensel at 38, um, Skinner, Pavelski and Matthews all at 37, even Mark Scheifele at 36. So it'll be interesting to see down the line how many of those players are playing um, the big minutes. Uh, Winnipeg, they might have—they're going to have to if they want to try and maintain a spot in the Central Division there. So um, going down the line now, it'll be interesting to see how, as teams out of necessity, are playing their top players and uh, the numbers those top players are able to put up. So a lot of players are going to get over the forty-goal score uh, mark this season, I believe. Drysaddle might even get to 50, so we might have two 50-goal scorers. As I said, I'd like to see, and I think Ovechkin will uh, win the Richard Trophy this year. Um, so that's um, nice to see. Uh, Drysaddle, though, if he gets to 50, he'll do it with 100-plus uh, point seasons. That's really cool. But those are the two big ones I predict there. Uh, let's take a look at goalies, shall we, and uh, the big goaltending categories there. So goals against average leader is uh, Jordan Binnington in uh, St. Louis. Then, as I said, it's the Ben Bishop redemption story uh, is second. Robin Leonard, I mean, another redemption story. Uh, Jack Campbell, even in L.A., has put up some good numbers. And they were saying that, the Jack Cam that with L.A. kind of collapsing this year, um, they kind of went all in and got burned at the beginning um, in the offseason. But it made Jonathan Quick disposable. I th I wouldn't have been surprised if there were some teams that were very heavily interested in Jonathan Quick as a potential rental. If Edmonton had been a little closer to the playoffs, I think they would have had to pull the trigger on that kind of deal. Uh, bring in a solid number one goalie, a goalie that can steal you games. Um, because if you can get McDavid and Dreisaitl going and have a goalie that will steal you some games, Edmonton could have very quickly found themselves back in that um, threat to win the Western Conference. Um, sadly, they fell apart. Uh, Quick is still there. So the Jack Campbell story is an interesting one to see how that frees up Quick to move. Um, or if Quick wants to move, we'll see. It's, it's hard to leave a place like L.A. Like, I don't know. If you're making millions a year and you get to live in L.A., uh, so yeah, so goals against average leader is, uh, Jordan Bington, 
Yeah, shutout leaders, though, are interesting. So, Sergei Bobrovsky's come out of nowhere, and he's now the shutout leader with nine shutouts on the season. Uh, both Grice and Leonard with five in the for the Islanders. Vasilevsky was six. Bishop was six. Marc-Andre Fleury with eight. Um, and keep in mind, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has been injured for a little bit here. Um, and goalie win leaders, uh, despite being injured, Marc-Andre Fleury is still in that conversation, too. Uh, Vasilevsky leads the way at 37 uh, Bobrovsky, Anderson, Jones, um, kind of around that. Yeah, so yeah, Bobrovsky was 36, then at 35, yeah, Anderson, Jones, and Fleury. Um, something about Martin Jones which is interesting. He, again, back up behind uh, – he's been the best – the most successful Jonathan Quick backup in, in a way. Um, Jonathan Bernier left famously to go uh, to what he felt were greener pastures in Toronto, and we saw how that turned out. Uh, Martin Jones was there for their second cup, I believe, and then uh, went to San Jose, led San Jose to a cup final. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Has provided San Jose with very consistent goaltending. And I would say this is the first time San Jose has had this kind of consistent goaltending since the Evgeny Nabokov days. Um, the problem was Nabokov was never able to really um, replicate it in the playoffs, whereas Jones has been able to have relative playoff success for um, San Jose. Uh, they made a cup final. They made, uh, just because of the structure now, a second round uh, thing um, loss. But he was doing well. Um, so congrats to Martin Jones there. I think it's like he's the only goalie in the last four years to have 30-plus wins in a season. So that's interesting um, in itself. Flurry in Vegas again. It'll be just interesting to see who gets the Vezina. Uh, as I don't see any goalie getting to 40 wins unless they run out Vasilevsky, but I think they're going to go with Louis Domingue or Domingue. I'm not sure how his last name is pronounced um, in Tampa Bay. Get him some ice time uh, before the playoffs start. So that'll be interesting in itself. I mean, Carey Price has put up decent numbers. I think it's going to be an interesting Vezina trophy. That's going to be the really, really interesting one, uh, in my opinion, uh, going down the line here. Um, because you might have a goalie that doesn't, who, you know, is top five in win, you know, in terms of numerical, but like seventh or eighth overall in wins, um, put themselves in the conversation. Braden Holpe has just been as solid as could be uh, in Washington, but it's hard with Vasilevsky's 787 winning percentage. Uh, the only other goalie that has a se- uh, 700 uh, or better win percentage is Frederick Anderson from the looks at, who's played over 50 games. So, uh, and they, again, Vasilevsky, they kept his work to load down. I mean, that team is very well managed. John Cooper's done a good job there because, I mean, he looked like a bit of a shit uh, when Tampa Bay got eliminated on uh, the cup final and embarrassed by uh, Chicago there. So, um, you know, he's kind of redeemed himself. He's made a wet, an Eastern final last season. We'll see how it goes. I think he makes another Eastern final this year, possibly. I like my boys in Washington, though. So that'll be just interesting to see. Um, Frederick Anderson, again, though, could um, be a Vezina Trophy finalist. Bobrovsky, again, Jones, all these guys. That'll be interesting to see. Hart Trophy, I think, is going to be an interesting one as well. Um, As I think it's going to be McKinnon, uh, not McKinnon, uh, McDavid, Kucherov, and possibly even Patrick Kane puts himself in the conversation. And, I mean, last time Patrick Kane did it, it's when he made Panarin a star. Does he has he made someone else a star? I haven't really followed Chicago this season, so I mean he's put up 105 points with what? I don't know who. So, you know, 
without those 105 points, without Patrick Kane, is Chicago even, what, were they even in the conversation for as long as they were? So that's kind of interesting in itself. So that could be another one. Um, I don't see any goalies putting themselves in the Hart Trophy uh, conversation this year. Um, there's just too many other players that deserve it. I don't even see any defensemen really putting themselves in the Hart Trophy conversation. Uh, so those are going to be the two big ones, I think. But I think those are um, some things to just watch as the season kind of wraps up here uh, moving forward. Maybe check out some of the schedules that teams have left to see who they're playing. See how many of them you see some potential playoff matchups. And it'll be interesting in those teams that have kind of solidified their playoff spots. A Boston and a Tampa Bay, for instance, if they met again, would you be seeing some second-rate roster runs to kind of see like, hey, is our B, you know, is our B, our B plan here or plan B good enough to beat their plan B or their plan A or whatever? So, interesting to see how that goes. Um, again, like any season, you have those middle of the pack teams, uh, and some teams just have found themselves there and are either on the way down, on the way up. Who knows? Um, the Rangers, uh, the Devils, those kind of teams, middle of the pack teams now. Uh, but anyway, I think we can leave it there uh, for today. Again, I just wanted to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Thank you again for the continued and growing support um, here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Uh, what else was I going to say? Yes, um, for some reason my computer's messing up here. I don't know why. Um, but anyway, thank you all for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Really appreciate it. It means the world to me. Uh, if you're not already doing so, please follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Thank you all for tuning in this episode. Take care and bye bye for now.